Blog Talk Radio. Urban Glory Radio, simply glorious. In spreading the gospel to the world, we have designed a streaming radio broadcast for every believer. This word, worship, and witness-filled broadcast streams live every week. Access episodes on demand 24 hours a day. Subscribe to our iTunes podcast and take UGR wherever you go. Visit us online at urbanglorycampaigns.webs.com. Also find us at twitter.com backslash urban underscore glory and like us on Facebook. Enjoy today's broadcast. Well, good evening. It is another time and another joy to study the Word of God systematically. I'm LeVon Breland, the host and founder of Urban Glory Radio. Thank you for listening to the broadcast tonight. We do have a one-parter today, and then throughout the rest of the month, we're going to have a very uh, systematic teaching. But I want to go over uh, um, a, a word that is resonating within my heart, and hopefully, by the help and the assistance of the Holy Spirit, we can we can really achieve some great um, dividends. I'm going to go rather rapidly through the Word of God, and this is not a primary systematic teaching. This is more a little more advanced. So um, do your best as, um, much to catch up with um, with us. But I'm going to go rather rapidly through the content, and then go into um, for the rest of the month. We're going to get into some other teaching. So thank you for listening to the broadcast. And I trust that um, through this time, we're going to be empowered to succeed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day, knowing that this is the day that you have made, and we rejoice and are glad. Thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. It is the authority of your word that gives me confidence to make boldly known the mysteries of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do lean and depend on the Holy Spirit as educator and guide to give me clear articulation of speech and deliberation of thought. Holy Spirit, I say have your way. Do what only you can do. Anoint the people's ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And, Father, in everything that shall be accomplished and everything that shall be revealed, you be glorified, for it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we do praise you and give you glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Romans five sixteen through 17 says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. I want to talk about revealing our great conversion, revealing our great conversion, and we want to affirm our walk of faith, affirm our walk in authentic faith. So in order to do that, we know that our conversion is realized, is a real, our realized state and awareness to the advantages that we have in Christ. This is exercised by our vivid display and loyalty 
to a biblical worldview and upholding the standards of God. It will be the faith fights that reveal what we internalize. So the scripture denotes that even to be ready, uh, we must fight. It, it suggests contending for the faith, emphasizing the demand that we embody our convictions above the trends and the conformity of the world. So commentary, I want to further our studies on our role as conversion. You know, Jesus had said to Peter that in this time you're going to deny me, but I pray for you that your faith fail not. But after you fall and go through that process, and after you get restored, go strengthen your brother. But you're going to go through a process. You're going to go through a process that Jesus calls conversion. Now, the scripture has a lot to say about conversion, and we will amplify how that definition of conversion really helps us. It is our realized state and awareness is to the advantages that we have in Christ. Until you re- realize it, it won't suffer, it won't benefit you. Let me give you five scriptures just to give you a contextual uh, a snapshot as to why I'm talking about conversion. You know, we we only see two major conversions um, in the scripture. Well, we see several conversions in the scripture. We see that Paul Jesus prayed for uh, Peter's conversion in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. We hear Paul speak of his conversion in Acts chapter 26, verse 15. We see the effect of conversion to the Gentiles first introduced in, in Acts where um, Paul is preaching about his conversions in chapter 28, 22 through 31. But we also see it that, that the mysteries of the kingdom of God are unfolded by conversion in Mark chapter 4, verses 11 to 14. So conversion often is that realization that takes place and awakens in our heart that we are born, we are born to be what Christ has ordained us to be. Psalm 51, verses 8 through 4. Let's, let's read that passage of Scripture because I think it really serves as an Old Testament passage um, that propels us into greatness. Amen? So in Psalms chapter 51, it's a it's a powerful passage of Scripture, of course, but it tells you, of course, it's, it's one of my favorite favorites. Let's start at verse 8, which everybody knows. Everybody knows Psalms 51. It says this. It says, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face far from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It says, Do not cast away, cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach the transgressor your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Now listen to this. As a result of my personal experience, I am 
am confident, I am confident to see that others also experience what God has for them. So it's when we we really allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the power of our conversion, and the only way he can reveal it is through the things we experience, then we really won't experience we won't promote being converted to others. So our conversion is our realized state and awareness to the advantages that we have in Christ. Now, and we learned this by, um, by affirming our divine position, who we are, what we have, and what we can do. So our embodying the nature of Christ demands a biblical worldview. That means we look at the word of God. That's what he said, create in me a clean heart, O oh God, renew in me the right spirit, take not <coughs> away your Holy Spirit from me, restore the joy of my salvation, and my salvation is contingent upon the gospel that I know, right? Now, let's go to First Peter chapter 3, and let's qualify exactly what, what a biblical worldview is and how we can display it in confidence. Okay, so let me read the passage first, and then I'll break it down for implementation, and we'll get into our systematic teaching for tonight. It says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrywise blessing, knowing that hither unto ye are called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love his life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and let him do good. Let him seek peace and ensue prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But if, but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas when they speak evil of you, as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you of your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So there are some ways this shapes a biblical worldview. This is a great scripture. If you ever want to find a, a way to establish a <laughs> biblical worldview, you can look at that passage in First Peter chapter 3. I love how the scripture engages the opposition we face for just being saved. There's things we go through. Our standards simply oppose the ways of the world. We conduct ourselves deliberately avoiding evil, displaying compassion, seeking peace, stability in prayer, and suffering for righteousness. That's what we do. Because of the sanctification, which means priorities and placing God first, 
separating ourselves from the way of the world in everything we do <clears throat> in a good conscience, right? We display a new pattern of thought and behavior by the leading of the Holy Spirit to truth. And these discovered these are discovered in the presence of a good God. And what is and what he has exposed us to. So this is faith at work in our lives. We know that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So God's verdicts, judgments, decisions are what shape our attitudes, beliefs, and convictions and by what he reveals to us. This is what this, this chapter is talking about. And thus this is a biblical worldview, and this is how it's formed. We are not creating religions or erroneous rules and restrictions, but rather in everything we do, we rely on God to reveal, discover knowledge, wisdom, and insights on his judgments, opinions, and opinions which are noted by the word of God. So mankind of old were inspired. You said the Bible says that the scriptures were written as men were aspired to be moved by the Holy Spirit. So men of old were 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 inspired to express as much as they could and what they could not utter or express by the word, the literal words written in the scripture, that same self-fulfilling spirit and inspiring spirit awakens us to the impressions and expressions by communication. He communicates to us today. And so a biblical worldview, here's the definition of a biblical worldview, is an adapted divine perspective discovered in our sanctification of heart to express the hope that lies within us. So we have a hope that lies on the inside of us, but we've adapted our perspective based on what we've experienced in the presence of God. So a biblical worldview is an adapted divine perspective discovered in our sanctification of heart to express the hope that lies within us. And we know that because we are, we are to give an answer. We are to show proof in what we believe and why we believe so that when people see our conversation, that word conversation doesn't mean conversation. It doesn't mean talking. It means conduct, commitment, and conviction. Our conduct, commitment, and convictions in Christ are found good. So when people falsely accuse us, they can look on our life and say, no, it's, it, it is better to do the will of God than to suffer and to suffer for doing right versus evil. Because we make the difference. We set the tone. And let me say something to you while we're in this political climate and while we're in this political tension. We as the body of Christ have the power and the ability to change and flip the script. We have in us, on the inside of us, the answers that the world seeks to know. And, to, to, and, and, and it is not until we release ourselves to be converted to be fully changed. If ye abide in me and my word abides in you, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Freedom, justice, equity, ethics, morale, um, stability, strength, empowerment are all found in our conversion. And if we don't have a revelation of it, we won't display it to the world. Which brings me to another point in this passage, knowing the importance of having a good conscience. See, our conscience is shaped 
and developed by what we have been exposed to. It is our conscience that assists us to creating deliberations in the mind to impact our decisions. So determining what is the best outcome, even in this process, God is at work. The scripture says in Philippians 4.3, it is he that causes us to will and do his good pleasure. So God is at work within us to will and perform his purposes and plans. This is where the all things are possible and every good and perfect gift that is available becomes good pleasures in God's will. It is God's will. So we are, re- we are not reactive to the ways of the world, but we reform the ways of the world through our sanctification, our separation to the things and the will of God. So the question becomes this. Are you experiencing the good and perfect will of God, the good pleasures of his will, or are we reactive to righteousness and ruins through sin? Are, um, are, we, are we resolved to the suffering for righteousness for attaining the will of God for our lives so that we can inherit a blessing, or are we motivated by some other things that have a temporal effect of reward? That's, that's what we're talking about, realizing and the revealing of our conversion. So when a person is converted, there are three simple things that they, they have resolved in their heart. Number one, they are convicted to righteousness. Righteousness is the, righteousness is the key. God first, God's gospel, God's good news, God's message is that we obtain righteousness through faith. That as we, as we live by faith, as we resolve to live by faith, we are convicted to righteousness. We are, when I say we are convicted to righteousness, I'm saying that we are thoroughly convinced of the greater one that lies within us. When I say we are convicted unto righteousness, I'm saying that we are convinced of the greater. We know greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. And then we start correcting the practices of wickedness because we know what is right. We have been impacted in our deliberation, in our decision-making. We have been impacted because we have a good conscience in the sight of God and man. We are convicted unto righteousness. We have clarified courage because we have corrected the practice of the wickedness because we have been convinced that there's something greater, not for others, but for me. There's something greater on the inside. Greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. We are convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God but by him. We are convinced. We are convinced so much that our heart will not stay complacent. Our heart will not conform because we are convicted to righteousness. Secondly, number two, we conform to the truth of the gospel versus the conformity to the ways of the world. It is the truth that makes us free, and the truth comes as a result of our confronting with the compromises in reality. We see that there's a great compromise in the world, that the world compromises who they are and what they have and what they can do to appear successful, to appear um, 
at, at a state of wealth, when they don't have what they really profess to have. So we are confronted with compromises in reality, and conflicting values are addressed by our doctrine. That's what I mean by conformity. We are conformed, we are conformed only to the truth. Because we see that there is no advantages and benefits of doubt. There is no advantages to lies that have been inserted by secular society and satanic influence. We have the truth because we're connected to the person who gives us truth. And in truth, there's proof. So we confronted with the compromises in reality and we can, conflicting values are addressed by our doctrine. But then we create a transformation center in our hearts for Christ alone, because in Christ we live, move, and have our being. So thirdly, not only are we convicted and, and we conform to the truth, but we are consecrated in our hearts by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens when we have a biblical worldview. There's a place in life that you can get where the word of God affects you so that it, it, it thrusts you into excelling and attaining greatness to God. So we cleanse ourselves. We lay aside every weight of sin which so, doth so easily beset us by cleansing ourselves through supplication and prayer. We pull on the divine reserves that we have on the inside of us. And what do we have on the inside of us? The greater one. We have the, we have the conviction of righteousness. And see, if you don't have the conviction of righteousness and the desire to be conformed to the gospel through truth, then your salvation experience has not taken place. So this consecration is, a, a, is like is a, it's an elevation of our separation to God. It's closure to the worldly practices of sin, and it's a clearing of our character traits to Christ in us. Let's go back, as we conclude tonight, to Acts. And let's go to the actions of the, we say the actions of the apostles or the apostolic is really the actions of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered these men to perform on God's behalf. We look at Peter. Paul, and when he is a, when he is addressing um, uh, addressing King Agrippa, he he gives a, a a solid declaration as to his position of his own conversion. He says, and and I want to make sure I get this right. Verse 4, he says, My manner of life from youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem and all the Jews, know that they knew me from the first, that if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I was a fair, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope and the promise made of God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. 
Why should it be incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and in many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them, often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme by exceedingly enraged against them. I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me, and thus those rose who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I like kick against the pricks. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and both a witness of the things which you have seen and the things which have yet to be revealed to you. The scripture goes on to say, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and shall inherit among those that are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in, in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout the regions of Judea, then to Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do the works befitting of repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand. Witness most of the things that are small and great, saying no other things than the, those which were what that Moses said would come, that Christ would suffer, and that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he, and now as he thus made his defense, Frida said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has drived you mad. The world will never understand you, but you got to keep doing it. You got to keep preaching because you want to reveal your conversion for the bigger picture that God has in mind. Amen. I thank you for listening to tonight. And I pray that you've got those, those characteristics. But ultimately, I want you to resolve to this, that when you face things in life, you know that conformity to the will of God is a must, that the circumcision and the consecration of your heart shows that you are available to God, but conversion really is in full effect when the secular world has no state in your affairs because you are complied, you've complied to sanctification 
and you've con- consecrated yourself to devotional life. That's how you know that you're converted. That's what reveals. And it's only revealed when you allow God to step on the scene of your life and show you in process that he's God all by himself. And besides him, there is no other. Father, let this be in our lives that we come to a place where we are not just settling for a form of godliness and denying your power, but we are released to the promises of God in a path that reveals itself through the light of your word and through the hope that lies within us so that we can see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you're revealing our conversion, not for the sake of our fulfillment, because in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. But for others to see our example and to see our light, that it shines so bright that others may see our good works and glorify you, which art in heaven. So, Father, we delight in your word. We delight in you and what you have in store for us. We thank you, Lord, for your presence and your power and your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and we praise you and give you glory in Jesus' presence name. Amen and amen. Well, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus I believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You shall be saved, for with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Would you repeat after me? I do confess with my mouth, and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Jesus from the dead. I thank God for the work that he did for me at Calvary. And if you did that, you need to find yourself in a Bible-believing teaching church where the word of God can have preeminence and focus and priority in your life and watch God change your life and turn your life around. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the broadcast. Next week we begin a series of teaching, and I'm going to tell you it's going to be a blessing um, for, for your persistence and your consistency in the things of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the broadcast tonight. God bless you, and good night.